Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. We're halfway home here on a Friday. Good-looking start to the day. Good morning to you, Jake Query, along with Kevin Bowen and Mark Dykton. And, of course, it's the weekend that many around the state have been awaiting. Indiana and Purdue. Been a long time since we've seen both teams come in ranked. One of them is the top team in the land. The other one is at home. And joining us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline to talk about all of that and more is the voice of Indiana, Don Fisher, who joins us. Don, I appreciate the time this morning, and I want to begin with this. Trace Jackson Davis has been just consistently night in and night out, both from a scoring and rebounding standpoint. I mean, obviously putting together a dynamic season. Who's the last guy that comes to mind that has had a season that has been this consistently dominant in the front court for Indiana? Is there anybody that jumps out at you? Well, from a from a scoring perspective, uh, probably Allen Henderson. <laughs> that's I, I was thinking of Allen, and Allen did so many different things, and that's kind of how that feels, right? Yeah, I mean exactly, and and uh, but Allen was uh, a little bit different kind of player uh, inside, but uh, I thought he was probably as consistently good as anybody that Indiana's had in a long time, and. Um, you know, from from a defensive standpoint, I don't know that anybody that I've seen has been as good defensively, at least from a blocking uh, shot standpoint, than than Trace Jackson Davis has been. He's just been spectacular, um, and he's done it his entire career. It's not like uh, you you don't overtake uh, what Newton did back in the day uh, and take over the all time career blocks leading list if you aren't consistent. And he's been doing that his whole career, but it's really been special this year, no doubt about that. Who would you say, Don, and I think this is probably the one thing that perhaps Mike Woodson is most trying, maybe even still to figure out, but in your opinion, who is the most consistent secondary score that Indiana can rely upon? You know, they've had some injuries, right, and guys that have missed time, but if Trace Jackson Davis is going to need a Robin, who's the most consistent player for that role? That's a hard question to answer, Jake, because honestly, there's nobody that's really been that guy so far this year. You've had different people step up. Trey Galloway and Tamar Bates have both had big ball games for Indiana, but it's not, it doesn't happen every night. Miller Kopp, we know, can shoot the basketball from outside as well as anybody on this team, and yet he, he doesn't take very many shots or he doesn't get very many shots in any ball game that you see. Um, I think he's had maybe only two or three double-figure scoring games this year, or maybe four. But uh, the, the whole point is that there's nobody that you can rely on consistently to be that guy. The good news is that they've had other guys step up, and, and that's been, that part of it has been pretty consistent. Almost every ball game, somebody else steps up and, and knocks down some threes or, or at least is a, a, a consistent scorer in the sense of, of being able to help the team. So I, honestly, Jake, I don't think there's anybody that you can say right now is that dominant person. You probably would say Xavier Johnson if he was healthy, but uh, he's just not been healthy, obviously, hasn't played since the, uh, the Kansas ball game. So right now they're, they're still looking for that one guy. 
He's the great Don Fisher. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Don, appreciate the time here on this Friday morning. Um, when you look at the history of this matchup, what are one or two moments that stand out to you above the rest? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I don't know I could pick one or two. There have just been so many. Obviously, last year, to break the nine-game losing skid to Purdue was special. Uh, there's no question about that. that. That immediately comes to mind because it's the closest thing that we've had to success against the Boilermakers. Um, you know, I always go back, if you're, if you're just looking at, at big ball games between these two teams, uh, I, I've always gone back to the very first Purdue-Indiana matchup that I ever saw at Assembly Hall. And that was back in 1974. Uh, Indiana was playing the Boilermakers. Steve Green and John Laskowski were a part of that ball club. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, Laz stepped up at the free throw line in the last seconds of that ball game and knocked down a couple of free throws to give Indiana the lead. And then uh, they went down the floor, and Mike Steele tried to take a shot from the corner with basically two seconds on the clock. And Steve Green, who literally would tell you that he probably couldn't jump over a phone booth, went and blocked his shot. <laughs> and, and Indiana won that ball game, and the student section uh, jumped out on the floor, which was kind of unusual, yeah. to say. But uh, that was one of the few times that we saw it during the Bob Knight era. You know, 16-year-old me, Don, for about from the age of 16 till about 35 years old, I could not touch a basketball without simulating Jay Edwards' shot over Tony Jones. <laughs> like, but you know that the thing about this rivalry, and you've seen a lot of it, and that's what makes this game so intriguing. I think is there have been so many times that one of the two schools was having a dream season, only to have it be hiccuped by the other one that knocked off the one that was higher ranked. That yeah. just has happened so many times, right? You're absolutely right. I mean, these these two teams, uh, when you least expect it, too, sometimes, you know? <laughs> and uh, these two teams have always had great ball games. Uh, when one has been down, uh, usually the, the the one that has been down comes back and bites you. And and when the other one, when they're both really good, that's when it's really special. And so many times during the Knight Katie era, uh, these two ball clubs were pretty evenly matched, and they went through some real Donnybrooks over those years. And honestly, it's it's a great rivalry. It really is. It's always better when both are really good. Uh, and I think Purdue is just special this year. They certainly have proved that up to this point. And I don't think Indiana's bad in that sense because I think they've had a, a good season in some respects and they just haven't been as consistent. And, of course, the injuries have played a role in that. Again, he's Don Fisher. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. In your history with the variety of coaches, and obviously Bob for a while, but then lately there's been about a handful of coaches, did, did you get the sense that the rivalry meant the same for all the Indiana coaches? No, I don't. I mean – I think the rivalry itself means the same thing, but I don't know if it does for coaches. You know what I'm saying? I mean, mm -hmm. uh, Calvin Sampson was only here a couple of years. I don't know if he got the real feel for the Indiana-Purdue matchups. Uh, I think, you know, it's interesting, and, and Jake, you, you probably will relate to this in some respects because Mike Davis has had the best record of any Indiana coach against Purdue in a very short period of time. In six years, he was eleven or 9-2 and two hmm. against Purdue. Uh, that's when Purdue was down a little bit, and Indiana was playing pretty well most of those years. But honestly, uh, I, I mean, I think, I think any coach that comes to Indiana – 
uh, immediately recognizes how big this game is, especially the first time they go out on the floor. And, and of course, with all the trappings of social media now and, and of course, uh, the constant uh, talking about this matchup, I, I think most coaches get it. Uh, whether they embrace it as much as the Knight Katie era, I'm not sure of that. I think Mike Woodson gets it, and I think Matt Painter gets it. So I think these, these two guys will probably uh, – I would think, think that's a, probably an, a misstatement for those two guys because they get it. I think they really know what it's all about. You know what, Don, to, to deviate from – Don Fisher, the voice of Indiana's our guest on the Payless Hotline, to deviate a second from this year's matchup, um, you mentioned Mike Davis. And, you know, I, I don't know if I've mentioned this to you before, but but I've always felt this way. And I was wrong about it when he was coaching, for sure. But as time has passed, I think I've realized that I don't know that there was anybody that was put into a more difficult situation in college basketball but handled it with a better professionalism, for the most part, than Mike Davis, who I think years from now we will look back and say that despite wins, losses, and records, he was a tre- he, he, he offered a tremendous service to Indiana University basketball in what had to have been the most tumultuous period for any coach. And I just don't, myself included, I am absolutely guilty of not giving him that credit in the moment. Well, and and I've always felt that way about him because, as you know, I was very close with Mike Davis, and I just I thought the world of the guy, he was a special man in my, in, from my perspective. Uh, he still is a special man. Uh, he, was too on, he was honest to a fault. He wouldn't. He would not lie about anything. You ask him a question, and he would either not give you the answer because he didn't want to impugn someone, or at the same time, uh, he wouldn't say a nasty thing about him. He, he was a really good person on top of being a really good basketball coach. You know, was he ready for Indiana University? Probably not. Uh, I, I know we had many conversations about um, the struggles that he had in dealing with some of the problems that took place while he was the head coach. and and obviously dealing with the negativism from the standpoint that he was the guy following Bob Knight and it wasn't going to be a special, that type of thing. But he, he still, to this day, reveres the opportunity that he got at Indiana in those six seasons. Uh, he, he did a really good job most of the time. Uh, a couple of recruits got away that might have made it really special for him, but at the same time, he, he knew when it was time to get out, and he did it. Uh, at the same time, uh, I thought he handled it as well as any coach has ever possibly handled a situation like that. And you're right. Uh, he hasn't gotten the credit he deserves. Don, in terms of this year's team, the Maryland game, you know, obviously they did not get good shooting from the outside in particular. And Trace Jackson Davis, they kind of pushed him off the block a little bit. But I thought Indiana, considering the injuries, probably going into that game might have been playing as well as it's had in a stretch here this season. Could the Maryland game have just simply been a bump in the road, or could it also, or would it have been, or is it possible that it was a trajectory changer for Indiana in terms of a blueprint on how to beat them? You know, I don't know. I, I mean, I can't answer that, Jake. It's it, what I do know is this: uh, you, you went into the Maryland game, and I, I thought, and I said this to anybody that asked me, uh, that the Maryland game was going to be really tough for Indiana. Uh, it, the matchups just weren't quite what you would like. At the same time, Maryland was playing their best basketball and is playing their best ba- basketball of the season. Indiana's on a five-game winning streak. So that is hard to maintain sometimes. And the thinking process that goes into that from a mental standpoint, from a coaching perspective, 
sometimes that's just hard to get guys to understand that, hey, this isn't going to just happen. You've got to be able to provide it each and every time you walk out on the floor. All those things came into my thinking process of, of this matchup, and that's why it was concerning to me. And obviously they didn't shoot the ball worth a nickel in this ball game. That was probably their biggest problem. But they didn't, they didn't do a great job, and, and Mike Woodson would probably argue this, that they were really good defensively because they held Maryland to 34%. But the defense that they played, so many times they were called for fouls. And when you give another team 25 out of 29 from the free throw line, and you were somewhere in the 10 to 12 range, uh, you're in real trouble. And Maryland was a ball club that knocked them down in this contest. And you can't, you can't play defense and foul all the time. You've got to play defense without fouling as much as possible. And in this game, Indiana didn't do that. Don, obviously, you look at last year's matchup and the, what Robert Fennessy did, you are able to overcome the foul trouble for Trace Jackson Davis. And I think he only played like 10 or 11 minutes right. in that game. When you talk about guarding Zach Eady, when's the last time you've seen a Big Ten big man that even commands the sort of attention like him? <laughs> well, I guess maybe uh, the only other guy you could probably say that about was uh, Isaac Haas. <laughs> Another guy that was a load inside. Now, he wasn't the – I don't think he was the scoring type no. guy that, uh, that Edie is. But Edie's so coordinated. Exactly. And, and Haas was just that big and tough to move around. But, but that's going to be the key in this ball game, and it's not going to be necessarily the only key. I mean, they, they're going to have to play good against everybody, and they're not going to be a, a, able to allow some of that outside shooting that they're that Purdue is very capable of to burn them. Uh, because if they do, there'll be no contest. I mean, Edie inside, I think, is essentially unstoppable. Now you can contain him to some degree, but you just can't stop him. He is that talented around the basket. Uh, and obviously last year Indiana got in foul trouble early with him with Trace being out of the ball game most of the contest because of that foul issue. I, I don't know how you handle that this year. In my opinion, I wouldn't put Trace on, on Zach Eady. I'd yeah, put Ray or um, Malik Renew or whoever. Uh, obviously they're a little shorthanded now with Geronimo having been out the last few ball games, and I don't, I don't know if he'll play in this one, but – uh, they're, they're going to have to do something different than they did a year ago because you can't afford to have Trace out of the ball game. He is the key to this team. Don, last one for me, and when you speak, it is certainly gospel. So I, I'm going to ask you this question about IU fandom, and I feel bad asking you a question about hate, but it is rivalry week. So um, this is from Scotty, and now Scotty's a big Kentucky fan. Scotty was wondering – Yeah, we'll speak slowly. Does IU hate <laughs> Purdue or Kentucky more? <laughs> well, I can't speak for the whole Hoosier Nation, but I can tell you what I think. Uh, I hate Kentucky more. Bingo, baby. <laughs> Bingo. No question. And the reason I do is because I hate the fact that they don't play anymore. Oh, uh, amen. It's just ridiculous that Indiana and Kentucky don't play every year. One ball game uh, at the other school uh, school's place or at Indiana's place or wherever. Don, uh, I mean, how much ridiculous. fun was that? Leading up, you know, two weeks before Christmas and the dome is half blue, half red, or Freedom Hall. I mean, I would I, prefer campus sites, but at this point, I know, exactly. but it was I'll so much it. fun. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and you know, they had at the Hoosier Dome they used to have. You know, Kentucky and Louisville come in every year with Indiana and Notre Dame, and, and it was so cool. Uh, but, but Calipari put a stop to that. Therefore, 
he is not on my best friend list. <laughs> do, do you hate three putting more than John Calipari? <laughs> Actually, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Don, I'll ask you this one about the rivalry. Um, And I'm not going to ask you which player that you most disliked from Purdue because you're a broadcaster. I mean, I get it. You're a professional. But give me the player. I've always enjoyed asking fans this question. So I'll ask you as a broadcaster. Give me the player for Purdue, and there have probably been a lot of them, but the one that jumps out at you that you thought to yourself, you know what? I know he plays for the rival school from the one I'm broadcasting, but I can't help but absolutely love the way that kid plays the game of basketball. Oh, I thought you were going to go the other way and just who I, I thought was the worst player or the best player I'd ever seen that I disliked the most. Okay, well, you can go that no, way I'm if not, you want. I, I'm not going there yeah. either. Don's filled with hate <laughs> after right. that question now. <laughs> so, so you want to know what now, Jake? I want to know the guy that, when he played his last game against Indiana, you thought to yourself, you know what, I know he plays for Purdue, but gosh darn it, I enjoyed watching that guy play. Gosh, that is a hard question to answer. I'm, and I'm trying to go back in my memory banks now to, to all of the terrific Purdue players that we've gone up against over the years. But, you know, the guy that I really admired, and I can't think of his name off the top of my head, he played a couple of years ago. Um, and he was the guy that did everything off the bench and was just tremendous. Every time he walked out on the floor, he did really positive things for that ball club, and he wasn't a great player or anything like that. He just did it all right. I can't think of his name now, but the other guy that comes to mind immediately is Brian Cardinal. Yeah, I mean, Cardinal's the one that – Cardinal is the typical player, Don, is he not, that like when he's on the other team, you can't stand him, and then you realize that you can't stand him because you really wish he was on your team. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know what I mean? He's the Dane Fife of Indiana. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. (laughs) uh, I'm trying to think of who this guy would have been recently, Don. White guy, black guy? White guy, yeah. I mean, about 6'6", 6'7". Grady Eifert? Eifert, exactly. Greg Eifert. He's uh, he's now coaching. Look at you guys. He's now coaching with Micah Shrewsbury. At Penn State, I saw. So exactly. I saw go through the uh, handshake line. Well, Don, uh, can't wait for the listen tomorrow. Again, downstairs, WIBC. Uh, coverage begins at 3 o'clock. It's a 4 o'clock tip there. Do you get – I don't know. Do you sleep any differently on a night like this? I no. I, I don't know. Am I, am, I, am I putting too much stock into that? Yeah, too much stock in me in that. Okay, fair. <laughs> I'm not uh, I, – I, 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 look – I have a problem sleeping for eight hours these days, <laughs> and it's only only because I'm old and I got to get up to do what you know sure. I have to do yeah. uh, at least one time during the evening. So <laughs> yeah, you're thinking about lining up that second putt, and all of a sudden it wakes you up Tell in a cold sweat. Don Fisher are not only painting pictures of IU basketball, but his That's nightly right. routine as well for all exactly. of us here on this Friday morning. Don, have an awesome call, and thank you for the time. Appreciate Thanks, it, Don. Guys. Thanks for having me. The final hour of the week. Boy, we've had to shut the blinds a lot this week with the sun just beautiful creeping in. Looks like another great day here. Going to be a bit chilly. And I would guess, I don't know, maybe tonight, tomorrow. Rob Blackman, when are you making the trek down to Bloomington? Can't wait. It's always sunny on Highway 37. Hey. Indianapolis to Bloomington. Love that trip. Especially with uh, construction no n- no longer. Are you a Saturday commute down, or are you, uh, are you going down later tonight? Uh, so I will be uh, this time, with it being a 4 o'clock game. I normally try to uh, just kind of judge it by what time the tip-off is. If it was a noon tip, I'd head down tonight, but 
four o'clock tip off. I'll have plenty of time tomorrow. So yeah, I'll head down tomorrow. Rob, I'm going to ask you a similar question to what I asked Don Fisher from the Indiana side. From the Purdue side, we know that Zach Eady is obviously what everything runs through. And Purdue is interesting because they've had various players in different games be the guy to step up to be a reliable Robin for him. But who is the most consistent alternate scorer to Zach Eady in the event that Purdue's big man has a rare off night? Uh, well, the easy answer is Fletcher Lawyer, and I say easy because he's the second leading scorer on the team, so you automatically just kind of think, well, he's the guy. But I do truly believe he is that guy, regardless if he's the second leading scorer or not, which is interesting to say for a guy that's a true freshman. But, you know, not only is he is he the second leading scorer on the team, but he's he's been at his best in the Big Ten games and with the bigger games. I mean, that's that's kind of the thing with him. He's he had 27 against Nebraska. He had 17 against Penn State, 20 against Minnesota, uh, 18 against Duke, I think it was, 17 against Michigan State. My point being, the bigger games is when he's really stepped it up from an offensive end and really given Purdue a punch. So he would be that guy without question, at least from what we've seen to this point, you know, 20, 22 or 23 games into the season here. Rob Blackman is with us again, the voice of the Boilers here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. It's a 4 o'clock tip tomorrow from Bloomington. Rob, I asked this to Jake earlier and curious your thoughts on on Zach Eady. If I threw these three things at you, uh, the stamina that Eady's is able to play with night in, night out, his ability to play you know, north of 30 minutes and not foul, or his just passing decision-making, of those three, which has impressed you the most? Oh, uh, very good one. Uh, <laughs> and I guess a couple all, of them go hand in hand, like, you know, stamina and the ability to play without fouling probably goes hand in hand a little bit, but just curious your thoughts. Yeah, no, but all, uh, but all three are just so improved from where he was a year ago. And look, I don't know if it's even fair to Zach. Maybe he could have done this last year as far as playing 30 minutes a game, but he wasn't going to regardless because of Travion Williams, obviously being, uh, being the backup five, uh, so maybe he could have. Maybe the stamina thing should not have come, come as such a surprise. Maybe we just didn't have a chance to see it. He played 19 minutes a game last year. Again, it had, didn't have anything to do with stamina. Um, it had more to do with the guy that was playing behind him at that position. Uh, but I would say probably the passing, um, and and more importantly, what would go hand in hand with that. Kevin is his patience now in the post. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what's really impressed me the most. Um, you know, last year when he caught that ball in the low post when the double team came, you really had no idea what was going to happen. Maybe something good, maybe something terrible. You, you, you just didn't know. <laughs> this year he's just been so much better. Uh, and, and Matt Painter actually talked about this on the on the coaches' show Monday night. He just literally puts that ball up above his head because he knows most guys can't jump up there to get it anyway and just takes his time and surveys the floor and tries to find the open teammate uh, when the double team comes. And if it doesn't come, you know, he quickly gets into his move, whether it be the, the right-handed hook shot or he's gotten pretty good lately about spinning back to the to his right shoulder and finishing with his left hand. You know, he just kind of waits and takes what the defense gives him and doesn't panic. And so I would say the passing slash patience is probably what's impressed me the most with him this year as far as a guy that's really, as you're trying to evolve your game and become the best player you can be, I would put those two things there hand-in-hand as what really has helped him take another step. You know, on the foul front, he's only had four games all year with more than two 
fouls, yeah. which is yeah. obviously really, really rare. One more thing on, on Edie, and again, Rob Blackman's with us, the voice of the Boilers. I always felt this way when the Pacers had playoff series against LeBron. You always were like, when LeBron sits, that's when you've got to go on a run. Do you see any trend when Edie is not on the floor that Purdue has improved in those minutes when he's not on the floor, or is that still a question mark? I, I, I really haven't put a whole lot of stock into, like, how is Purdue playing when he's off the floor? Because tomorrow, you know, when he sits versus when Trace sits will, I think, be really interesting. Yeah, and uh, that, that, that uh, answer, actually, Kevin, for me, has changed within the last probably two weeks because there was a point up to about, well, really a week and a half ago when Zach left the floor, and quite frankly, when the starters left the floor, uh, that Purdue was trending in the wrong direction. But the last three games, that has not been the case. Um, and it, look, it's easy to say when it, when Mason Gillis comes off the bench and has 29 for you against Penn State Wednesday. But even before that, the game before that, the Michigan State game, uh, 24 points, I think, off the bench for Purdue. Uh, the game prior to that, the Michigan, the Michigan game, 21 points off the bench for Purdue. Purdue had not been getting that type of uh, production from their bench. No, not, Nothing close to that, quite frankly, in Big Ten play until starting about three three games ago. Um, so now you don't feel quite as bad when Zach Eady does leave the floor, nor any of those five starters. Um, I mean, let's all be perfectly honest. Trey Kaufman-Wren is probably going to end up being a really, really good player by the time his Purdue career is done, but he is no Zach Eady, so, and he's the backup five. So when Zach comes out of the game, Trey Kaufman comes into the game, Trey Kaufman-Wren, um, there is a there is certainly a decided drop off, uh, a noticeable drop off. I beg your pardon, at both ends of the floor. Um, but the good point, the good part is, the other guys that have been surrounding Trey, those other bench players, they've been playing at such a high level. You're really able to compensate for the fact that you do have Zach Eady on the bench trying to. And look, Zach plays you know 31 minutes or so a game, so it's not like he's on the bench a lot. But yes, when he when he is out of the game, up until about three games ago, I would have argued that's, that that Purdue's in a bad spot. But at least the last three games or so, they, that has not been the case. Rob, when you look at Rob Blackman is our guest. He is the voice of the Purdue Boilermaker basketball team. He's on the Payless Lickers hotline. When you look at what Purdue has done, we'll say for the last month, and, and I legitimately don't know, but you, you know, you're there and you see it. Have they altered game plans night in and night out based upon who they're facing? Or is Purdue at the point now of we are confident in who we are and what we do and try to stop it? Yeah, on the offensive end, that is, uh, that's a fair statement, Jake, that there have, there's, really, there's been very little changes, if any. Maybe a wrinkle or two here and there on an out-of-bounds play that we haven't, haven't run yet this year or have run only once or twice. Uh, but, yes, it's uh, – and look, you guys understand this. The smart coaches understand this. If something's working, why in the world would you ever think about changing it or altering it? And Purdue has a good thing going right now. Um, the one thing Purdue has not seen a lot of, seen a little bit of it here, especially the last couple of games, and not a lot, is zone defense. And that's because, of course, in our league, there just aren't a lot of teams that play, play much zone. Uh, we've seen a little bit of it. Um, so Purdue's had to alter their approach there with their zone offense just because Purdue doesn't have to run a lot of zone offense, again, because you just don't see it very much. But, yes, as far as on the offensive end, it's, hey, the ball's going into Zach Eady every single time. He's going to get a touch. You now trust him that if, 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 it's a, if it's a matchup that he's not comfortable with, then he's going to get the ball out, throw it to the open teammate. And, uh, you know, unlike last year, he actually might get the ball back. 
you know, one of the concerns last year was when the ball went inside, if Zach threw it outside, he might he probably wasn't going to see it again. <laughs> and maybe that's not all bad when you have a guy like Jay Knife on your team. But this year, that ball does come back inside to him. And uh, that's been a big key for Purdue offensively as well. But, but to, yes, to answer your question directly, Jake, I, I think Matt Painter and the staff are really comfortable with what they're doing right now. Uh, and really both ends of the floor. I mean, Purdue's been really good on defense, averaging like 60 points a game. I think they're allowing to the opponent in Big Ten play. That's pretty good. 60 points a game in Big Ten games is all you're allowing. So I, 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 do, I truly feel like Purdue's in a position right now where, hey, we're really good at what we're doing at this moment, so so why change? Let, let's just stick with what's working. And maybe maybe somewhere down the road, I mean, it's only February, uh, early February, maybe you have to make an, a wrinkle or a change here or there. But for the moment, uh, Purdue's in a pretty good spot and, and comfortable with what they're doing. Yeah, Rob, that is such a great point on their commitment to feed Zach Eady multiple times within a possession. All four guys usually on the floor are all really effective passers they've been great at that this season again tomorrow it's in bloomington three weeks from tomorrow it'll be up in Mackey, indiana and purdue rob uh you got a favorite moment from this rivalry we had don fisher uh, yeah, on earlier a, and he dialed yeah, up a few um that's an easy answer for me i don't know that the purdue fans will care for it uh but when bob knight made his return um to assembly hall there what was it three years ago does that sound right four now i think it was 2020 um, yeah that was uh, that was the highlight uh, for me, uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, being having grown up, born and raised in Indiana, you know, I was born in 1970, so I'm very familiar with the Bob Knight Gene Katie rivalry because that was right in my wheelhouse uh, as a kid growing up and a teenager. Uh, but but more importantly, how emotional it made my broadcast partner Larry Clisby at the time, uh, and how much it meant to him because you know he was part like Don, much like Don Fisher. He was part of all of those games between Gene Gady and Bob Knight. And I could just remember, uh, and certainly, you know, God rest uh, uh, the Cliz's beautiful soul, but I can remember that day vividly as if it happened yesterday. He was, uh, And he was in declining health at that point, but was, was still doing the broadcast with me. But was really, uh, he was really struggling emotionally uh, because of um, just, just seeing Coach Knight back out on the floor. And if you remember, Coach Katie was there. He was there as well. Um, so it was, uh, it was, uh, it was, it was a day that I'll never forget. Let me just put it that way. I need to stop talking. Or I'm going to start getting emotional here too, thinking about the clips from that day. But yes, that was the one I'll, I, I'm certain I'll never forget. Well, they, you know, it's interesting too, that that night, Rob, both Bob Knight and Gene Cady went to the Pacer game together. And I think that that finally kind of glimpsed for a lot of people that weren't around it closely the peek behind the curtain that these two guys that forever fans were so, you know, there was so much vitriol about the other from the fan bases of one of those coaches. And then for people to sit back and go, wait a minute, these guys got along that whole time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the, the respect, you know, this respect you have from both sides for the other coach. I mean, just a, a glimpse there behind the curtain about the respect that Cliz had for, for Coach Knight, and why does Cliz have that respect for him? Because Coach Katie was always talking Bob Knight up, and the respect that he had for him. Uh, so obviously, you're going to uh, you're going to be emotional when that when that particular instance happens. But yeah, I tell you, I I remember I, I made a comment on the air, and I asked for for Cliz's comment about it, and I looked over at him, and he couldn't speak. I mean, he was just like a little baby over there crying. So it was uh, what a day, man! I'll never forget that one. Never. Certainly, what makes this rivalry so so special. Uh, Rob, last one from me. Rightfully so. We've talked so much this week and today about Zach Eady and Trace Jackson Davis. 
Uh, any X Factor, other matchups, you know, storylines you think deserve some attention? I'll throw one at you. I think how Ethan Morton defends Jalen Hood, Shafino, assuming that is the 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 matchup there. Uh, but anything else kind of stand out to you about tomorrow? Kevin, I would say all five positions. Um, and here's why I was thinking about this this morning before you guys called. Just We'll just think about the starting five for a second. Trace Jackson Davis versus Zach Eady. Both are not only going to be first-team All-Big Ten, they're going to be first-team All-American. I don't see any way they're not. Race Thompson against Caleb First slash Mason Gillis. Very, very similar type players. Almost even height and weight-wise, very similar type guys at the four. Trey Galloway, defensive specialist who can score it if you leave him open. Guess what? Purdue has one of those guys, too, and Ethan Morton. Three-point specialist, Miller Cop. Purdue has one of those guys, too, and Fletcher Lawyer. Lead guards, Jalen Hood-Shafino against Braden Smith. Two of the best freshmen in the league, maybe two of the best freshman lead guards in the country. So every single position matches up perfectly. Think about this. That typically doesn't happen, even in a big-time college basketball game. Normally, you feel like one team has an advantage over the other at a certain position. I don't see that anywhere across the board with this group uh, tomorrow. So maybe it comes down to a bench player that ends up being the difference in the game for one of the two teams. Certainly did last year. Yeah, great point. Great point. But if you are looking for the game on paper that from a uh, from a matchup standpoint works out perfectly for, for the fans, I mean, this is the game. This is the game because both teams, in my opinion, have an exact replica of themselves on the other side staring them right in the face. So I, 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 I can't wait. I, the atmosphere is going to be awesome. It always is down there. I, it, to me, this to heck with that Duke North Carolina game. I mean, come on, why we, why, what are we doing here? Why is game? I, I, first, I thought I thought our, our game might have been on FS1 or Fox. I thought, oh, I must, but no, it's on ESPN. Why? Why is game made not at Purdue IU? This you talk about the perfect storm brewing here. This is going to be the game, but yeah. makes no whatever, sense to whatever. me. Four o'clock ESPN, and you're going to go with unranked Carolina Duke. <laughs> yeah, sorry, man. I mean, this is the game. This is the game. It just, it has, on paper, and I know they've not played on paper, but man, on paper, this game has every single ingredient you would want for a big-time game. So, Rob, oh, when, I want to ask you this real quick. When you look at last year with Purdue, you know, I, I was just having a conversation with somebody about the fact that, you know, you lose a lottery pick, and yet you are better than a year ago. A year ago, I think there were times when Jaden Ivey had the ball and the others on the floor were waiting to kind of see what he was going to do. Understandably so. This year, their ball movement is so spectacular, and they have a guy in Zach Eady that when he gets the ball, like Jaden Ivey, you're waiting to see what he's going to do. Yet, the fluidity of their offense does not stop when Eady gets the ball. What is the difference? Well, the difference, to be very frank, is on the defensive end. Purdue was not very good defensively last year. Matt Painter will be the first to tell you that. He also said this, I think it was on Monday's coaches show as well, where he said last year towards the end of the year as a coaching staff, we just finally said, screw it. We can't guard. Let's just try to outscore everybody. And that almost worked out okay, actually. It got you to the Sweet 16. Um, but that's where the biggest difference is. But to your point, Jake, you are correct. When Jaden Ivey got the ball on the wing last year on the perimeter, there was, a, there was a lot of standing around and watching him, which I probably would have done the same thing. I mean, the guy's a top five pick in the, in the lottery. But, yes, a lot of standing around and watching him, not a lot of movement offensively. 
And again, the thing we talked about earlier, Kevin and I were talking about when the ball goes inside this year, if it comes out, it's going to get thrown back inside again. That did not happen last year. When Zach touched the ball, if he gave it up, he wasn't going to see it again. And I think that made Purdue's offense a little bit stagnant too. Now, with all that said, the hard facts are Purdue was still number one or number two in the country in adjusted offensive efficiency all of last year for the entire year. So it's not like Purdue was bad on offense. You can't be number one in the country in adjusted offensive efficiency and be bad on offense. But, yes, there is a bit more fluidity to this year's team on the offensive end, and I think a big part of that is everyone's not just standing around watching Jaden Ivey with the ball in his hands. He'll have the call tomorrow, 4 o'clock, on the Purdue Radio Network. Rob Blackman, the voice of the Boilers, with us. And as I said earlier, it's kind of the rare rivalry where you get two Saturday matchups in February. The schedule has not really offered that in past years with this rivalry, but we get it this year. Bloomington tomorrow, and then Mackey February 25th. Rob, safe travels down there, and have a blast. Okay, guys. Thanks for having me. See ya.